Hi, I'm Talia Baroncelli, and you're tuned into the analysis.news. I'll shortly be joined by Frank Hammer to discuss the UAW's and Sean Fain's call for a ceasefire in Gaza, as well as Sean Fain's subsequent endorsement of President Biden. If you'd like to support the work that we do and give us a boost, you can do so by going to our website, theanalysis.news, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. Make sure you get onto our mailing list and like and subscribe to the show wherever you watch us, be it on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. See you in a bit with Frank Hammer. Joining me now is Frank Hammer. He is the former president and chairman of the United Auto Workers Local 909, which is located at the GM transmission plant in Detroit. He used to be a former GM employee and worked for GM for 32 years. Frank, it's great to have you back. Great to be with you again. Thank you. So Sean Fain, who is the president of the UAW, has called for a ceasefire in Gaza, and he recently endorsed President Biden. And there are some groups within the UAW, such as Labor for Palestine, who are um, opposed to this endorsement as they see this as a contradiction of the UAW's values and the UAW's declared support for Palestine and for Palestinians. So would you characterize Sean Fain's endorsement of Biden as a sort of respectability politics that's perhaps misplaced? And would you call on him to rescind this endorsement? So why don't we start out with a non-controversial subject? <laughs> um so, um, yes, uh, I think, uh, first of all, um, it was historic that uh, Sean Fain, on behalf of the International Executive Board in the UAW, came out with a declaration uh, back in December uh, calling on a ceasefire. And the resolution that was uh, what the, that the UAW endorsed was a resolution that had been originally circulated by the United Electrical Workers and has been signed on to by numerous labor organizations. So it's a broadly supported resolution. And in that resolution, it calls for an immediate ceasefire. And it also calls for the end uh, to the siege on Gaza. So it was a uh, it was uh, a bold statement, and I, I want to add that uh, historically the UAW uh, has supported uh, Zionist Israel. So to venture into this territory and make that statement, and he's done it repeatedly, uh, is uh, really a departure uh, from what the UAW under prior administrations may have done. So this was. Uh, part and parcel of the UAW rank and file electing a new president directly um, by membership votes. So, so, um, so then we go to the declaration of the endorsement for Biden took place at the UAW's biannual political action uh, conference. And you could say it came as a surprise and then it didn't come as a surprise at all. Um, there were no, there was no qualification of Biden uh, agreeing to a ceasefire, so that was uh, greatly disappointing. 
uh, especially to the UAW Labor for Palestine um, rank and file effort, which has been really pressing, especially in the East Coast, for the UAW not only to declare the ceasefire, but to carry through with that uh, resolution uh, in the ways that the UAW can do, uh, which include, you know, the UAW represents um, defense workers in military, uh, the military industrial complex. So the UAW Labor for Palestine, you know, feels that the UAW can play uh, an outsized role in preventing weapon, weapons and, and, and armaments uh, being sent to Israel made with UAW hands. So, but we have to look uh, at a larger picture, uh, and it's very painful for me uh, to venture into this territory, but it's going to be painful for all of us because right now, you know, the slogan that uh, has been um, projected not only by uh, rank-and-file activists looking for the ceasefire, but also in the Arabic community here uh, in the outskirts of Detroit, for example, in Dearborn, is we have basically uh, the slogan of Genocide Joe. And this is uh, most unfortunate. Um, but we're also dealing with the reality that we have an election in November and wish as we might that there would be a third uh, party alternative. Uh, for instance, a labor party uh, or some sort of grassroots political party we don't have that. We don't have that in November. We are faced with a stark choice of um, uh, a Trump who has already openly declared that he intends to be a, 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 empower himself in a dictatorship. And we have uh, a Biden who is wedded to uh, the genocide and the destruction that's going on in Israel. And these are very difficult uh, circumstances that we face. But it's clear that the UAW and uh, the labor movement is going to want to endorse um, Biden, even with the difficulty of seeing daily images of the U.S. Uh, in arm in arm with uh, Netanyahu uh, perpetrating all this uh, destruction and death in uh, Palestine. So I think that uh, supporting him does not mean that we cease in pressing Democrats not only at the president's level, the resolution also calls for pressing members of Congress. And I think that the UAW can do a lot uh, to support uh, the likes of Rashid, Rashida Tlaibi, Tlaib, sorry, um, uh, and her call for the ceasefire in the U.S., House and pressing the other Democrats who are not coming out and on behalf of the ceasefire and, and pressing on to do so. So I think that we're in a position of supporting Biden, but that does not in any way stop us from uh, mounting a full-scale labor-led movement uh, to reverse directions and to do it not down the road, but soon, sooner rather than later, to, to stop all the destruction and the deaths. I think we're, the media is reporting that we've now, we have 30,000 Palestinians who have lost their lives 
Uh, and, um, you know, when is enough is enough. It's, so it needs to be done, and the UAW needs to continue to speak up in spite of the fact that there are other reasons why the UAW would support Biden. But I will ask you again, though, because I don't fully understand what the purpose is in endorsing Biden. Is it because after the strike, yeah, I mean, he he did actually visit the picket line, whereas Trump didn't do so. So is it a sort of thank you for supporting us in our historic strike? Is that why Sean Fain endorsed President Biden? Or are there other sort of strategic reasons to do so? Because personally, as an outsider, I don't see this endorsement as being in line with the call for a ceasefire and for an immediate ceasefire. I just see those two things as being at odds with one another. So I don't fully understand the logic behind the endorsement. So I should add that uh, the UAW Labor for Palestine uh, certainly uh, has expressed the view that uh, why, why endorse President Biden now in February, um, why not hold out and say, as a condition of our endorsement, you're going to have to uh, compel uh, a ceasefire in Palestine. Um, and that's a reasonable position to hold. Uh, in answer to your question, um, I, I do believe that in the UAW negotiations, and this is speculation on my part, I don't have insider information, that there certainly was a deal that was struck uh, between the UAW and the Biden administration uh, that probably uh, enabled the UAW, for example, I'll give you an example, um, of uh, rescuing uh, the Stellantis plant in Belvedere, Illinois, which had been idled and was, you know, doomed to be uh, closed. And it seems that the Biden administration had a hand in assisting the UAW in convincing it, uh, or negotiating with Salatis to not only keep that plant open, but to also add another plant nearby, a battery plant. So uh, I, I think that uh, I know that the UAW and Sean Fain early on held out for some kind of federal intervention on behalf of the UAW and behalf of the union when the federal government gave all these subsidies to the uh, auto companies uh, for UGM Salatis in converting to uh, battery production and electric powered vehicles. Uh, and that may have been also in the mix, although I didn't detect that in the messaging that came out of the strike. So, you know, Real world, real politic, real uh, reality. Uh, it's very possible that the federal government and that Biden specifically uh, carried the day for the UAW in these regards and in exchange that the UAW uh, would agree to uh, support Biden. I'm speculating, but I think that in real world, I think that's the kind of thing that happened, happens. Um, and... Um, you know, the, the the most troubling piece of it, of course, is that it really feels like a reversal uh, for the Palestinians and certainly for the Arabic community here in, 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 in Detroit um, because it was such a, a switch around. You don't, I mean, 
President Fain was here at the Martin Luther King event in Detroit and reiterated his call for a ceasefire. And it was only like literally a week later that uh, at the CAP conference that uh, no mention was made at all of the uh, ceasefire resolution when Biden with Biden's presence. So I think it left a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety. Uh, I certainly feel anxious about it myself. Uh, and there's a lot of UAW members that feel anxious, never mind the broader community. So um, that being said, um, I think that it behooves now the UAW uh, rank and file and the labor movement as a whole, regardless of the uh, endorsement, to press on with a mass movement to reverse directions uh, in Israel. Yeah, I think when the endorsement was announced, um, there were a few UAW Labor for Palestine members who were in Washington and they disrupted uh, one of Biden's speeches. And it, I mean, they were taken away by Secret Service members and it was, I'm assuming it was pretty violent. I haven't actually seen footage of it. Um, but I was then surprised to see that when Biden recently visited Michigan and visited a UAW meeting there with Sean Fain, there was no mention of a ceasefire, as you just pointed out. And I don't I didn't even see um, protesters there or, or UAW uh, Labor for Palestine members there. So maybe they weren't even allowed into the event, into the event. I'm not quite sure. Yes, uh, I can speak to that. So uh, I wasn't in town, unfortunately, but uh, from all the reports that I uh, received, um, there was a, a Biden was scheduled to uh, be in Michigan. The location was not disclosed. It was kept secret. Uh, it turns out that it was held at uh, my region, Region 1 in Warren, Michigan, in Macomb County. And uh, But uh, there were uh, many protesters uh, outside the uh, complex where Biden uh, spoke uh, with, you know, and glide-handed with uh, UAW staffers and some UAW members that were there to make calls for Biden. Uh, but there was uh, no indication, no connection. Uh, and these were UAW Labor for Palestine. These were UAW members here in Detroit uh, and, uh, and supporters uh, who came out to uh, protest and demand the, the ceasefire and, of course, to denounce the uh, endorsement. So, um, and that, I believe that that's going to follow Biden in any, um, you know, industrial city where he's going to be and elsewhere that um, he's not going to be able to shed uh, this, uh, this uh, demand and that it needs to follow, continue to follow him and continue to impress upon him that he is uh, basically risking an election. He's risking the November election, and especially in the state of Michigan, where he only won by 150,000 votes you know, in, in 2020. There you have an Arabic community that has initiated an abandoned Biden campaign. And I don't know whether the Democratic Party establishment understands that they're at the, at the risk of losing the state of Michigan in November, and this is one of the key states that's going to decide the, the election in, in November. And uh, I think that for strategic reasons, uh, for the election purposes, that Biden has to uh, turn this around, never mind the moral arguments and, uh, and, you know, and the alleged allegiance that he has to the working class. If he has an allegiance to the working class, he would be moving really quick 
to uh, to uh, uh, demand the ceasefire and to cease uh, equipping uh, Israel and supplying more money, as as has been scheduled currently in the in the, in the, in the Senate, where they want to send another fourteen billion to Israel to continue to perpetrate its genocide. Well, you just added some really important context because some of our viewers and listeners will know that in Michigan, there are lots of Muslim and Arab Americans. And recently in Dearborn, the mayor of Dearborn refused to meet with Biden campaign officials. I mean, he did say that he would meet with um, officials from the Biden administration, but not with people in the campaign because he wanted to impress upon them the idea that this ceasefire is so crucial and that there has to be some sort of give or take here or, or listening at least to Arab Americans and to Muslims. And that's not happening at the moment. So because Michigan is so crucial to Biden winning the elections, you do wonder what's going on. Is he just completely tone deaf or does he not even want to win the elections? Like, does he just not care about actually winning? And it's it's just remarkable to see what's going on. And then, of course, you have this horrible Wall Street Journal op-ed that was recently published calling Dearborn um, some sort of you know, jihadi capital or, or just some nonsense because there are people with conscience who are actually calling for a ceasefire. I mean, they're not terrorists. They're average people who are just calling for a ceasefire. So I think this is the, the really important context. And, and given all that, given what's going on in the background, I wonder whether that's sown divisions or perceived divisions within the UAW, or if you think that most members are actually on the side of perhaps even calling for Sean Fain to rescind the endorsement. So, um, well, a couple of things on that note. And, and, and let me just say, I mean, within the ranks of UAW Labor for Palestine, within the Arabic community and Dearborn, uh, Muslim community. I mean, you know, this isn't, um, this is so personal. People are losing family members in Gaza, in the West Bank. Um, um, I mean, it's the, it's, I mean, it's, it, I don't, it, it, it couldn't be any closer to one's heart to uh, to uh, see uh, how they would see what Biden and has done as a betrayal. Uh, the Arabic community, seventy uh, percent of the Arabic Muslim communities in nine, in twenty twenty, voted for Biden. And you can imagine that they're going to be very uh, not just reluctant. They're 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 not going to be they're not going to have the stomach to vote for Biden in twenty twenty four unless this is reversed. And even then. Well, I, I was wondering, I mean, are there additional tensions or within the UAW as a result of Biden's policy and Sean Fain's endorsement of Biden? So uh, I think that um, that uh, broad swaths of the UAW members um, are not uh, familiar enough with uh, the dynamics of the history of the creation of the state of Israel. So there, that, that, that history uh, is something that uh, generally workers have not been familiar with. And the UAW is unfortunately in the past administrations uh, has been uh, uh, close supporters of the Zionist state of Israel. And therefore uh, the UAW has never uh, bothered to educate its own rank and file. About and if they and if they were to do so, 
it was on the side of Zionism. So we 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 in the ranks of the UAW have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, we're beginning uh, the the Reform Caucus within the UAW, UAWD, Unite All Workers for Democracy, held its first uh, kind of like teaching, Palestine 101. And we had UAW members and auto workers in on the uh, educational uh, that we pr provided. And people were really uh, clear, learning things that they have never known about Israel because uh, also because of the corporate media and the incessant uh, pro-Zionist messaging that we get through corporate media. So um, I think we, the, it's incumbent upon the UAW to do a lot of education of the rank and file. I think the rank and file, um, you know, and they get treated uh, daily, you know, to Hamas, this terrorist organization, terrorist organization. And, you know, you react to, oh, well, it's a terrorist organization without understanding the context or even whether that's an appropriate label uh, to to what's happened. So uh, the elements in the UAW that have a much more ready understanding are, of course, the UAW members that are in the academic institutions, as many are, or for example, in the legal profession uh, in, the, uh, um, uh, in New York, um, they're part of the uh, you know, Legal Aid Society. And, you know, they've had much more contact with the information about Israel and Palestine, and they're much more readily under, you know, are understanding that the UAW must take the side of Palestine and demand an end to the genocide. So um, I, 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 that's the way I, I would describe it. I don't think that there's a groundswell on the UAW right now in support of the position taken by Sean Fain. And I think that the leadership should do everything in its power to create that groundswell to show that UAW members, once they have the facts, something that Sean Fain has really emphasized, that I don't think I have any question that UAW members uh, would be part of that groundswell in support of the ceasefire. Well, you recently attended the Martin Luther King Day event in Detroit, which was um, a few weeks ago. And... You awarded Sean Fain um, the Spirit of Flint Award, and I was wondering if you could speak about the significance of that award, what it represents, and what you thought of the event in general. Right. Thank you. Um, yeah, and by the way, I mean, that was that was a week before <laughs> Sean Fain endorsed Biden. Um, so, um, but there, there were reasons, there are very important reasons. First, uh, as the Martin Luther King Day event has now entered, it was in its 21st year when, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when um, Sean Fain accepted the invitation to speak at the event. Uh, first time. No other UAW president in the last 20 years has ever uh, volunteered to speak uh, at an event honoring Martin Luther King and honoring uh, Martin Luther King in all of his manifestations, including in his opposition to the Vietnam War, including in his role in support of the labor movement and support of the Memphis sanitation workers, etc. So here's Sean Fain. Uh, he brought other members of his leadership team with him uh, and gave a very uh, eloquent speech 
combining and putting together uh, the labor movement and the black liberation struggle and identifying uh, Martin Luther King as such a key uh, party uh, in both uh, movements and bringing those movements together. And even during the Martin Luther King event, as I said, stated earlier, he reiterated uh, the call for a ceasefire. Um, so I think that um, uh, the move... The, Sorry, the if move, I can just interject because I was listening to the speech and he not only called for a ceasefire, but he actually, the way he did it was very important because he was talking about Vietnam specifically and this, the speech that Martin Luther King gave, I think, a year and a day before he was assassinated and how he was talking about you know, what, what sort of unites Americans and what affects American life is war abroad and how war abroad needs to be put to an end. And so he made that connection between Vietnam and Gaza. And so hearing that and then hearing that, you know, a week later he would endorse Joe Biden is, is kind of what <laughs> created some sort of tension or uh, at least caused cognitive dissonance for me. So, yes, and I think that um, if, Biden, if uh, Sean Faye is going to be true to himself and true to the honor upon which he bestowed on Martin Luther King. Uh, he's really going to have to re-examine uh, what he's doing in regards to the support of the ceasefire. And the reason I say that is because it was against all odds that King made the famous speech on April 4th in 1967 during the Johnson administration, and in spite of Johnson's role in supporting supporting Martin Luther King, uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, in the quest for the Civil Rights Act and so on, that even and and people, his associates, his assistants, his advisors said, "Don't do it, don't do it." And King felt compelled, in spite of the fact that he got support from Johnson and other matters to speak out about Vietnam, and he was denounced shortly after. He was denounced for the speech. And I think that Sean Fain and the UAW as a whole, the UAW leadership needs to look at that and say, if we're going to meet that standard that we're holding up high, then we have to be willing to you know, oppose uh, Biden now, where we see him uh, clearly in the wrong, and clearly against the interests of the world's people, it's clearly uh, on the short end of the uh, International Court of Justice and the South Africans bravely going to that court and, de and, and declaring that Israel uh, is reasonably suspected of committing genocide, that we need to be on the side of South Africa. We were on the side of South Africa during their struggle against apartheid. We need to be against... Uh, the Israeli uh, Zionists for the current apartheid against the Palestinians. Well, I do also want to ask you about Trump because, of course, Sean Fain was very vocal about Trump. I mean, he's come out against Trump and he's uh, supported Biden. So I think it's pretty obvious uh, or intuitive that he'd be speaking about Trump and how Trump doesn't have the interests of the workers at heart. And you wrote a piece in 2015 for the Real News Network, and you were talking about an interview that Trump gave, and I think he gave it to um, Chuck Todd at MSNBC. And he was saying that, you know, of course, I would bring manufacturing jobs back to the United States from abroad, and I would take them out west and ensure that people are paid 
a third of the wages, or at least much less than when people were earning before. So he was pretty much exposing his position as being in cahoots with or in alignment with the transnational capitalist class. Um, so I do wonder, I mean, Sean Fein is aware of how horrible Trump is on these policies, but do you think he analyzes these policies as being part of a larger trend of global capitalism and how these capitalists have it out for the average worker and it's not just Trump that has it out for them? So, um, yeah, when I, when I, when I wrote that piece and, and, it, and it's been interesting because, um, uh, most recently, uh, Sean Fain has in fact referred to that interview that, uh, Trump did back in 2015 and, uh, and he spells it out, uh, that, uh, what Trump was, uh, uh, pr promoting, was that uh, the corporations uh, could show the unionized workforce in the Midwest a little a thing or two by extracting the work uh, from the Midwest? And he said, "Oh, you don't even have to go overseas. You can just take it to a non-union uh, uh, area of the U.S. And within a couple of years, you know, you could bring it back. And the, those workers that uh, you know, the unionized workers in the Midwest, would gladly accept uh, the jobs." at a third of the wages, like you were saying. And what I was seeking to point out is that this wasn't particularly unique to, to Trump. He was, he was spilling the beans, so to speak, uh, about what, in fact, the capitalists have been doing in the last, uh, certainly the last four neoliberal uh, 40 years uh, uh, that we've been living through. Um, and Sean Fain has wanted to contrast that uh, with Biden, and I think that uh, Sean Fein uh, falls short because this has not only been a Trump phenomenon, this has been a capitalist phenomenon. And in fact, uh, the Biden and the, along with uh, Barack Obama and that, that administration were the instruments that Wall Street used to exact all these concessions during the bankruptcy of GM and, and, and Stellantis or Chrysler then, I believe, um, that um, we have had to suffer with, including the multi-tier wages, including the loss of uh, cost of living allowance. Uh, all these things that were extracted during the bankruptcy were done under a Democratic administration. Uh, other President uh, Obama and Joe Biden and we can't give it now. Uh, he's being characterized. Biden's been characterized as, well, he had the backs of the workers. And I'm so sorry, but that's simply not true. So the UAW, uh, let's face it, we're confronted with two capitalist parties. Um, we don't have a labor party of our own, uh, although we did attempt to do that uh, decades ago. Um, and we're um, stuck. Uh, and in fact, uh, I think the two Sean Fain's credit, he was on a he was able to undo the damage, a lot of the damage that was done through the bankruptcy by a Democratic administration. Uh, the Democratic administration during that bankruptcy didn't put any time limits on any of the concessions that were extracted from the UAW. The only time limit that they placed was on the, the um, a suspension of the UAW's right to strike. That 
in the bankruptcy proceedings was slated to be reinstated in 2015, which it was. But no such uh, time limits were put on cost of living so that we had to go on a 40-day strike in 2023 to get back what we had, what was extracted from UAW members during the bankruptcy. And we have to look it in the eye. We have to talk facts and say, I'm so sorry, but that was part of the Wall Street scheme. And the engineers of it were, was uh, Biden uh, as the vice president and, and Barack Obama as president. And like it or not, we have to deal with that. Uh, and I appreciate, uh, actually, I was shocked when Biden came to a picket line here in Michigan, uh, I was shocked to learn that he was the first president that had ever done that. Uh, I didn't know that, but really it's a matter of optics. It was a good optics. It was great optics, but it was optics. Um, and more substance has to come down the road. And, you know, the UAW should be pressing for what are we doing about the minimum wage, a minimum wage is the same now as it was under Obama. It's at, you know, seven twenty-five an hour federal minimum wage. And why isn't you why isn't the labor movement addressing that full force? Because that would help all workers if the minimum wage was raised to the level uh, that we need at this moment in time. So I think there's a lot of work to do. This whole uh, narrative about Biden had our backs and it was you know, and Trump was a bad guy and Biden was a good guy. Well, in reality, um, the Democratic Party administration, although they weren't saying it, they were pretty much towing the line uh, quite like uh, quite like what Trump was announcing. Well, yeah, a lot of it is optics, as you were saying. I mean, we should also mention that Joe Biden's approval rating is currently at something like 37%, which is basically... President Jimmy Carter level approval rate. <laughs> it's pretty abysmal. Not that approval rating necessarily determines the outcome of an election, but it's an indication that things aren't going so well. So the fact that he actually showed up at the picket line isn't even surprising to me, even though, as you said, no president has done so before. But I think he's trying to score all the points that he can get because he's clearly aging. He's fumbling around, having falls and a lot of people don't agree with him on certain policies, especially um, Israel's bombardment of Gaza. So I think he was trying to score some points wherever he can. Um, but I do want to ask you something. And if we don't fully get into it now, I think we should do a separate episode on this in the future. And that is the history of labor in the United States and the links that they have traditionally had to the sources of decision-making power within the United States government, as well as within the CIA and, and how they've been involved in suppressing uh, labor movements in other countries, such as countries in Latin America. Yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, that's, uh, so the question we can raise right now in that context is, where is the AFL-CIO uh, in regards to the you know, the, the genocide that's taking place. And the AFL-CIO is also, again, um, been very much connected with, as you were saying, the federal government, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, uh, the um, 
NED, the National Endowment for Democracy, which is uh, uh, funding by the federal government for the AFL-CIO. Um, and there's uh, state AFL-CIO councils that are passing resolutions in support of a ceasefire, uh, but they're not doing it because the AFL uh, National Administration is, uh, you know, uh, promoting it. They're not. They're suppressing it. So I think it'll be a very, very important conversation to talk about the role of the AFL-CIO, not just in line with uh, Israel and Palestine, but certainly in line with uh, other um, uh, uh, attacks on uh, working classes in other countries, whether it be in Chile, whether it be in El Salvador, whether it be in uh, Venezuela, uh, you name it. The AFL-CIO has been uh, very key in uh, promoting U.S. foreign policy, and uh, that obviously uh, is a, a big challenge, but it's something that needs to change if we're going to have a real progressive labor movement in this country. Yeah, and for those who don't know, that stands for the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. So I guess they sort of represent all the unions. Is that how you would best describe them? Or how would you describe the function of the AFL-CIO? The AFL-CIO is the largest uh, labor federation in the U.S. It's not the only one. Um, Approximately 50 or 60 unions are part of the federation including, for example, the UAW. But there are other elements in the labor movement, for example, the Teamsters, um, and I forget which of the other ones, there are, but there are significant labor formed formations that are not part of the AFL-CIO, but the AFL-CIO has a membership of about 14 million uh, workers. So it's a sizable force that if it was uh, true to uh, labor's um, agenda, uh, would be playing a much larger force in the U.S. on behalf of the working class of not only this country, but the working class classes of other countries, the international working class. And that's not been its role. And um, it's very important that uh, uh, U.S. workers, uh, who are by and large kept out of knowing anything about the AFL-CIO, that we begin to open that up and expose that and reveal that for people uh, uh, you know, to know what are we supporting with our dues because union members' dues go, do support the AFL-CIO. Well, we'll get into that next time. I think that'll be really fascinating. Well, Frank, it's been great speaking to you. Is there anything else you want to reflect on about the UAW and calls for a ceasefire? Well, uh, I, I think that um, as uh, angry as we might be in regards to the role currently being played by Biden and the Democratic Party, I think we have to really be mindful that uh, what Trump represents uh, is, is uh, fascism. And uh, as such, uh, I mean, it's very clear that if he were back uh, in the presidency, that there would be no limits to his ag- aggression against uh, immigrants, which, by the way, Sean Fain has been speaking out on behalf of. There's no question that uh, there would be attacks on uh, Muslims uh, wholesale. Uh, 
um, that uh, be a, there will be attacks on workers. Um, and I think that we have to be extremely mindful of what that would represent for us, never mind uh, the environment, never mind the climate crisis. I mean, uh, Trump denounces um, uh, Sean Fain for even uh, pronouncing that we do have a global uh, warming crisis and for supporting a transition uh, away from ICE vehicles, internal combustion engines. Uh, Trump would do no such thing. And, you know, election, a, a Trump election would surely doom the planet to uh, a, a very uh, grim future. Um, but certainly Biden has got shortcomings on that score as well. I mean, I do agree with you for the most part. I just think that a lot of people, especially in Michigan, for example, who are Arab American or, or Muslim American, are worried that Biden actually uses that as a justification for his policies and saying, you know, Trump was the one who uh, enacted the Muslim ban. And if Trump were to come back, then there would be a Muslim ban and Muslim immigrants would not be able to come to the U.S. or they wouldn't be welcome in the U.S. And yet, based on the conversations I've had with some people in Michigan who are Muslim, they have said that, you know, that's not something they're really worried about because what is currently going on in Gaza is just, you know, unspeakable horrors and complete disregard for Palestinians as well as a disregard for the opinion and uh, the culture of ceasefire, ceasefire by Muslim and Arab Americans within the United States. So n not to say that I don't think Trump uh, represents, you know, a sort of vile form of politics. At the same time, I feel like some people don't really want to face the, I guess, trajectory that Biden comes from and the fact that he's always been in support of these of these wars. And he's never really, despite what he says about, you know, criticizing trickle-down politics and saying that, you know, food never trickled down to my table when I was a kid, but um, he still supports that broader capitalist class and, and warmongering machine. So I think just have to be mindful of that, even when we're pointing to the horrors of Trump. I, I completely respect that position. And um, it's, uh, it's something that uh, deserves more uh, discussion and clarification. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm very clear that we're in a very difficult position with these two capitalist parties uh, vying for control in the fall. I'm totally aware of that. Well, Frank Hammer, it was great speaking to you, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. And thank you for watching TheAnalysis.News. If you enjoy this content and you'd like to support us, you can do so by going to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and getting onto our mailing list and hitting the Donate button at the top right corner of the screen. Thanks for watching, and see you soon.